uh, sermon in this series, and uh, I've, I've been liking the series. If you haven't been um, with us previously, uh, it's just talking about Jesus, how he, he seeks us out intentionally, and, and today's the wrapping up of that. And when I was preparing for this talk, I was praying and, and going, what, what do I share to, um, to you guys? And one of the things I suppose that came to my mind when I looked at this, this, um, the topic was, I suppose, as a parent, um, how many, raise your hands, parents, that, that you're finding yourself or have found yourself in the past having to repeat yourself to your children? Okay, there's a few up. Um, now, like, I think the common one in our house is, have you cleaned your room? Have you cleaned your room? Have you cleaned your room? And then while Tyrese is driving, it's like, do the speed limit, do the speed limit, slow down. But as a parent, we often find ourselves repeating, repeating ourselves to um, the children or to people in our care. And like, for the children that are in this room and students, like, it's not just young ones. Like, I know before going into, into full-time ministry, I was a cabinet maker by trade. And I found myself doing the same thing to adults. So it's not just a generational thing. It sometimes can be just as humans. Some people need um, many. Um, have you done this? Have you done that? So we find ourselves in a situation where, um, or I found myself in a situation, and I thought I'd never be that in this situation where, I, one time I was ringing my parents, my ringing my dad, and I was talking to my dad, and I found myself, now hands up if you've done this, I found myself complaining to my dad about having to repeat myself and do these things with my children. And you know what my dad did? He laughed. And he goes, payback. And so I'm praying that it's many more years in the future, but I am looking forward to that day when Tyrese calls, says, Dad, my kids are not listening. And I'll go, ha, 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 ha. It is good to be in my space. But today we're talking about um, that Jesus seeks us. And I suppose before we start into this, and I believe there's some on the table as you walked in. Helps if I turn it on. You would have seen these cards. And if you were here a couple of, four, three weeks ago, you would have got these cards. It has a magnet on it. Uh, And if you don't have one, they're at the front desk. And we're encouraging all of our members and and guests to take one and put it on your fridge and write the name down of the people that, or person in particular, that you feel God is putting on your heart to pray for. And so if you don't have one or you want another one or if you want to grab a stack because you just want to pray for heaps of people, my name is spelled S-H-A-U-N, and you can grab one on the front desk on your way out. But I want to encourage you guys to continue to pray for those that God's placing on your heart. Um, I stand here today, and I say it a lot to our students, um, that I am a product of prayer. So I, I, I fully believe in the power of prayer, and I do believe that I wouldn't be standing here today if it was not for prayer. Um, so I want to encourage our church to continue to pray for those that God's impressing on our hearts. But today in the last one is the, for the one, that's the series, The Saviour Who Seeks and Saves. And we're going to get going for a few verses, a few different verses throughout the Bible, predominantly in the book of Luke. Um, Because Luke, there's some passages in Luke 
but he really portrays a picture, and that's what we're trying to get through today. So the first one is this. It's found in Luke chapter 5, 12 and 13. It says, in one of the villages, Jesus met a man with an advanced case of leprosy. When the man saw Jesus, he bowed with his face to the ground, begging to be healed. Lord, he said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said. Be healed. He instantly, and instantly the leprosy disappeared. You see, Jesus knew when if you were if you didn't know, like back in the back in the biblical times, they actually created a whole different town for people that had diseases. So that if you caught leprosy or if you caught different other things, you had to go to this area outside of the city gates because you were classified as unclean. And, and part of it was that you had to stay out there until you were clean, and then to, to come back into town, you had to do this whole ritual. You had to go in front of the, um, the priest, you could say, of the time, and you had to do these things in order to be accepted back into the community that you were once living. So you can imagine if, if the Bible doesn't tell us how long this guy had leprosy, but you can imagine being isolated from everyone you know, or because of a disease that people don't want to be part because they don't want to catch it. You're an outsider. You're an outcast. So we can, we can imagine that the, what this person is, is, is actually striving for is connection, is community. But every person he comes in contact with, as you could imagine of the time, were just keeping their distance from him, so much so that you couldn't even come in the city gates. And he comes into contact with Jesus, and he asks Jesus if you are willing can you please heal me? Jesus could have just clicked his fingers, could have said to him without touching the guy. And yet we, we're told that Jesus put his hand on this guy and said, I am willing. You see, Jesus was able to, was, he didn't care, he, wouldn't have, he, was, he was God on earth. He didn't care about what other people thought about him. He didn't care about the consequences, and yet we see throughout Scripture that nothing came of those interactions. And there's multiple interactions where we see Jesus interacting with those kind of people. So Jesus places his hand on this man and says, I am willing. And now for us today, how do we apply that to our lives? Now we might, I'm hoping that none of us have leprosy in the physical sense, but sometimes we can feel like that we are the untouchables. Not the movie The Untouchables, but like that people just don't want to be around us. Sometimes we can feel that people are just keeping their distance. People that were once, I thought, friends are now keeping their distance from me that they don't want anything to do with me. When was the last time that you checked in on someone that you haven't talked to in a long while? You know, sometimes we can feel that we're rejected in everything that we're doing, unwanted. And in a sense, we feel like an emotional leper because that's where we're being isolated too. Perhaps it could be because you're distancing yourself. I know in my, in my journey to get to where I am today, I found myself a lot of times being that emotional leper, but it wasn't because of anyone else's doing, it was because of where I put myself. Because I thought I was unworthy to be in all these different places. But Jesus, we see in this story... 
He knows our needs before we even ask. He knows what we want, and he's willing to put our hand, his hand on us and say, I am with you. No matter what the situation that you might find yourself in, no matter how the different situations, like we can go on and on and on about the different circumstances and different situations that each and every one of us find ourselves in on a daily basis. But Jesus is there like this story here. He's ready to put his hand out and say, I am willing. But are we willing to ask him for that connection? goes on. And it says, later as Jesus... Um, this is another story, sorry, that um, we actually covered a couple of weeks ago with Pastor Sarah. And I, f- I, f- I found it really good and like really cool to actually include him here today. And it says this, again in Luke chapter 5, a bit later on, it says, Later as Jesus left the town, he saw that a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Now, you might have um, recorded that Pastor Sarah showed a video, and we were able to see it on, um, the Ch- on Chosen. And it's a pretty cool series, and it, and it depicts a lot of things that's pretty cool about the Bible. After this encounter, like Matthew or Levi was so excited that he invited every, all of his other friends, all the other people that was other tax collectors, the people that also, that the community thought were outcasts because they were ripping them off. They were, they were counted as lower than dogs. And it says this, after, the, after that, that initial meal, it says, but the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Jesus answered them, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. You see, in in that story, we find Jesus sitting or walking past this tax collector's office. That in the in the in the movie, on that series, The Chosen, we see Matthew's, um, or Levi's facials, that he's not happy about what he is, because who would like, like, I think all of us would put our hands up to have some kind of wealth, but at what expense? Levi found himself, or Matthew found himself having this, um, ex- this wealth, but absolutely, the, um, but all the community absolutely hated him. We see Jesus in that, in that series walk past and call Levi. Now, in Jesus' day, when, he, when we see that thing, follow me, that was like a rabbi that would often use that term, and it would be a selection process. So if you could imagine that, that I was the rabbi and you guys are all the candidates, it would be a lengthy process where I would, well, I would go to each and every one of you and uh, interview you. Uh, it wouldn't be really an interview. It more seemed like an interrogation. And it was a lengthy process, so much to the point where I narrowed it down to a few or one, and I would choose out that one and say, follow me. And out of that whole thing, process, you're making sure that they come from good blood, good family, that they know the Torah, and all these different things in order just to follow someone. And we see right in this story that there was none of that. Jesus just happened to be walking past, called Levi out by name, and said, follow me. Levi 
was like, and if you, if, you ever, if you haven't watched The Chosen, I encourage you to go watch it. It's an awesome series. Levi can imagine, if you could imagine, like, walking past, Jesus walking past, and the crowds are, are, are flocking towards him, and he points at you by name, and calls you by name, sorry, and says, come. Like, imagine the excitement that's boiling up inside you. And yet the whole community around him had written him off. You're not worthy. You don't need to do, you're doing all these things to rip us off. We hate you. The, the Romans are actually above uh, uh, where you are in the, whole commu- in the whole pecking order in the community. You are not liked by anyone in this community. You don't belong here. However, we see in the story that Jesus says, Levi, Matthew, as he would be later called, you are good enough just as you are. In the mess you're sitting in, in that tax booth, for us, it's in the mess that we sit in right now, Jesus is pointing to us and saying, you are worthy to follow me right now. No matter what you're doing, no matter what you've done, no matter what you're going to do, you are worthy to follow me. And all these stories, um, the students of the school will know bits and pieces about my story because I share a little bit in chapels and things like that. For me to read these stories on a personal level, to put myself in the situation, makes the Bible come alive. Because I can see myself in so many situations. I was the leper that was an outcast, but it wasn't because of anyone else's doing, it was my own doing. I had put myself into a box so far away from everyone else that I was all good, or so I thought. And so much so that when I felt that call to to come into ministry, mate, I was in the mess of it all. I was in so much mess, and I thought, how could God call a person like me? What have I got to offer apart from all the scars, everything that comes with the baggage that 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 I come with? Luckily, God doesn't look at that. And also, luckily, my wife was able to look beyond that to see the man that I could be. Jesus knows the man I can be. He knows the man you can, or man and woman you can be. But here's the kicker. I'm going to show you a video now. Of, and the high schools would have seen this last year. Um, and I'm going to show you a video of a person that I had written off. Hopefully. Our next story comes from New Zealand. The Calvary Community Seventh-day Adventist Church operates the Grace Foundation in the nation's capital city, Auckland. The ministry offers housing, counseling, and support for community members who are often marginalized. We're about to meet Tony, who is in one of the rehabilitation programs offered by the Grace Foundation. Tony was introduced to the ministry while she was transitioning from her time in prison. Hope Channel New Zealand has more. was raised between my mum, dad, and my grandparents. Um, and life was always good with my grandparents, not so much good with my mum and dad. 
My mum suffered postnatal depression. My dad was very violent and he was a drug user. Uh, so I, I dipped into drugs. Um, I went from just plain cigarettes to um, marijuana, alcohol, and into using um, IV morphine. I got a boyfriend when I was 14, and he was really abusive. He pulled me away from my family. Um, he put me in hospital twice. So by this point, I was heavily involved in the gangs. Um, and then I went to jail the first time um, for GBH, and there opened my world up to more um, involvement with the Mongol mob, mostly. So from that point, uh, from my first release, I entered into a new relationship uh, with the father of my children that was full of drugs, more crime, um, and more abuse, which um, led to our break. And I moved to Auckland, started selling drugs, started selling myself um, and, and to prostitution and associating with some pretty heavy people, um, which resulted in me actually killing somebody, taking someone's life, and ending up in prison for it. It was coming close to my parole board time again, and a friend of mine introduced me to Grace Foundation, the ladies that come in. And I ended up having a visit with them um, for accommodation and support. And these ladies, they blew me away. You know, I have never met people that can just love on you so much, you know, just, and you felt it, and it was real, you know, and I never, never ever felt that in my life. And they always talked about this God again. And I thought, wow, you know, I want that. I want to be like that. I'm sick of this, sick of this exterior that I'm putting up. They can actually see who I am on the inside and they like that person. From my release on the 13th of October, 2014, um, the world was a scary place to come back to. I knew nothing of it, it had all changed, even the money had changed. But coming into an environment with Grace, they kept me well supported, almost cushioned from the world so I could take my time getting to know what it was all about again. So I participated in the very first Solutions One program and we just realised that Solutions could not just be three months long, it needed to be 12 and broken up into three stages. So I then moved <coughs> into the Solutions 2 phase, but as a facilitator. It's a program that you won't find anywhere else in the community um, because it's real. It's, it's life on life's terms and using God's words and the solutions that he has in the Bible for us, they're so easy, you know, and we get mixed up in this whole worldly thing. My life now, I can be who I am on the inside and know that I'm accepted and not worry about it. Just not worry about things. God's got me and I'm confident in that.
Her name, as you, can see, as you heard, was Tony, and I've known Tony since I was about three. She's my stepsister. And I remember the day that she, that she um, committed that crime. She rang me um, and wanted to hide the body at my place where I was living in the country. Um, I was on drugs at the time, and I thought she was after money because I knew what she was doing. And leading up to that point, um, I actually didn't, hadn't talked, spoken to her for quite a while before that point because part of when she went to jail from the first time and between that time, which was the third, fourth time, um, she had forged my signature on a loan document. And I only found that out when the repo guys came to take my car. So she had taken a loan out, forged my signature, um, and there was nothing I could do about it. Because um, for those that have seen my handwriting, you can probably understand why my wife won't even let me write things down that, that people are going to see, because it's really bad. Um, so if there's any kind of birthday cards or anything, I usually give it to my wife. Um, so through that process, I couldn't, I couldn't argue that the signature that had been signed on the document wasn't mine. So they took my car away. Luckily, I had a boss at the time that paid, the, paid out the money that was owed, and I was able to get my car back, and then I just paid him off. Um, so you can see why... Um, I didn't. I kind of disconnected myself with her, and in between, when she got let out, when this movie was, oh no, when this interview was taken, I'd already started coming to church. I wasn't in ministry, but I started going to church. And when I um, heard that she'd been baptized through, if anyone knows, it's um, through Paul Siope, Pastor Paul Siope at uh, in Auckland. Um, they do a great prison ministry, and they now gather at. If you would have noticed, if you've been to New Zealand, you would have seen that church, Papatoi. And part of that whole process was that he was going into the prisons and doing Bible studies with them. Now, I know Tony. Like I said, I've known her since I was about the age of three. And she would definitely be the last person that I would have thought, ever thought of that would have come to God. And I struggled with it. I struggled so much with her coming to God. And I remember being so angry at God, saying, God, Why? Why do you accept someone like that that's done all the things to me and has taken a life? Why would you accept someone like that? She does not deserve to be in this community. You see, I was just like the Pharisees in the, in the, in the Levi calling story. That some, I'd, even though I was in that relationship with God, I had ridden someone off so much that I put them in a box that they were untouchable. And yet God accepted me as I am, and I've done a lot of things that I, I can't mention here today. I was standing there being angry at God for accepting someone, and yet he was able to accept me. So you see that no matter how many times we can mess up, God is always there. He is always there because he loves us. Because he cares for us. And in those darkest moments, and for me, in that moment there and, and a few other times throughout my life, in those dark moments, I find myself. Why? Because when you're in the dark space, you've got nowhere else but to look up. 
For me, I had to go there. I'm not saying that everyone has to go there. For me, I had to go there because I found myself being a hypocrite. I found myself in love with God because I just started this relationship off and yet I was angry at God for doing, except doing the same thing to someone else. Someone else that I'd known from the age of three. Now, Tony's no longer in the church. After that was taken, she went back into prison for breaking her parole. And now, <laughs> she doesn't go to church anymore, but she, she, she's married in Wellington. She lives in Wellington. Um, she got married to her cellmate. Um, so she's totally left the church. The sad thing about that was she didn't invite me to a wedding. I would have gone. Because again, I've known her since the age of three. I'd gotten over that situation that I was found myself in, that I, I was loving her because she's my stepsister. Yes, I might not have agreed with what she's doing, but I can still show love to her. I can still, still show my support. And I was actually a bit cut when I didn't get that invite because she knew what I was... At this point, I'd just gone into ministry. She knew what I was going into. So she thought that I wouldn't be there to support her. She had isolated herself from some of the family. There's this, a few other stories that we're going to go into now. And it's still in Luke. And this is a story of Zacchaeus. Again, a little person, a tax collector that the city didn't, that the people hated. They disliked them so much because, again, if you didn't know, the tax collectors would say, the tax, your tax is $5, but reality was it was only a dollar and they were pocketing four, whatever it might have been. So people knew that. But the tax collectors kept on ripping the people off, their own community, their own people. The story goes, Zacchaeus hears that Jesus is coming, wants to see Jesus. He's messed up. Zacchaeus isn't in the right space, but he wants to see Jesus. And yet we see in the, in the, through the story, the crowd goes on to, to block. And now if you can imagine, I would, ima- I would imagine in the story that they're intentionally blocking Zacchaeus from even seeing Jesus because they're going, who are you? Like, get to the back. You don't even deserve to be up here. And Zacchaeus, all Zacchaeus wants to do is see God, see Jesus. And the people are going, nah, you don't deserve it. Get back there. Get back in your place. So Zacchaeus goes, okay, how am I going to see Jesus? The people are blocking them. The people are blocking me from being able to see Jesus. How am I going to see Jesus? Climbs up a tree. Jesus walks past, looks up at Zacchaeus, calls him by name, tells him to come down. Zacchaeus um, has, invites Jesus over for dinner, or Jesus asks if he can go there for dinner. And then in verse 9 in Luke, it says, Jesus responded, salvation, this is in response to Zacchaeus' commitment. Salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. See, Zacchaeus, in the midst of all, didn't realize he was lost. How many of us around the, in this church today, around the world, think they're all good and don't realize that actually I'm on the wrong path. I'm in, heading in the wrong direction. When, for me, when Tony headed in that direction, I totally cut ties with her. And yet Jesus tells us to love thy neighbor. Who's thy neighbor? The people around you. 
a, a, a woman that I have known for most of my life, I was just like, no, nah, done, you're out. And it wasn't until God placed it on my heart and he said, Sean, I've forgiven you for everything that you've done. All I'm asking you is to soften your heart and love your sister. And at that moment, I realized what I was actually doing. Here I am going into ministry. God's placing it on my heart to bring people to his kingdom. And I was like, nah, not that person. Nah, no way. And yet, I've been arrested multiple times. And yet God still loved me enough to call me into ministry. To say, Sean, I know your mess. I know the things you've done. I know the things you're going to do. You're going to, you're going to trip up along the way. It doesn't care. I don't matter. I don't... You're talking to me. You love me. That's what counts. And I'm going to be there every step of the way for when you do trip up, I will pick you up. And it wasn't until I started to realize that that my view of the world changed. I don't judge people, no matter what background they've come from. I've come into interactions with drug dealers, with um, prostitutes, um, druggies, and all that thing. I don't judge someone from the situation they're in because I don't know their background. But what I can do is show them the love of God that he showed me. And I suppose this next story, it was too long to put on the thing, so if you want to, you can look it up later on. But it's the story of the parable of the lost son. And I resonate so much with this story because, again, I went out to, to even after coming into that relationship with God, I, want, I, I chased everything. But when I first started going to church, I felt that call to ministry and I, I put it off so much. Still drinking, still doing those other things. I was going, nah, that's not me. Because I was so afraid to be up the front. Um, I was petrified of, of being in front of people. And God goes, Sean, if you trust me, I'll get you over those hurdles. But all you've got to do is trust. And the, parent, the story in this story here, basically what it is, is that he's got, this father has two sons. The first son goes and asks the father for money. He goes, Dad, I want my inheritance. Now, in that, in that time, and even now, like, Therese, if you come and ask me for your inheritance, there's not much to begin with, but you're going to get a rude awakening. Now, it was, it's disrespectful today. It was so disrespectful back then that the father, this is how much the father loved the son. He goes, okay, son, I, I, know, it's, I know it's the wrong decision. I know that... It's going, to lead, it's going to lead you to heartaches, to trouble. But I love you to make your own choices, and here you go. Son goes off and basically just blows it. Blows it in the city. Goes to the, if you can imagine, a country, town, a country kid goes to the city, sees all the bright lights. And if you watch the stories and things like that, in, the, in the, those clips, you see all these people. You find himself with so many friends, people that are surrounding him. Because oh, why? Because he has the money. It's like, yeah, I'll pay for it. Rounds on me. My shout. And all of a sudden, the story changes a thing, and the son finds himself with no money and no friends. He goes, looks for a job, still proud, too proud to go back home. Wasn't even on the cards. 
finds himself in the pig pen. Now, for those that might not know, in that culture, even being in the vicinities of pigs is, will classify you as unclean. It means you couldn't go to church, you couldn't do all these other different things, and the, again, the community would isolate you until you were such a time where you were classified as ritually clean. The son's in amongst the pigs. He's in amongst the mess. He's in amongst, if, you, if, if anyone has ever been around pigs, they're not the nicest smelling. He's in amongst all of that, so much so that he's feeding the pigs and he's looking at what he's feeding them and going, oh, I'm so hungry, I, I could eat this. I've had no food for such a long time. This is looking like, it's looking good. Now for me, if I was to put myself in that situation, it would be like um, Brussels sprouts if I was handing, holding Brussels sprouts. I hate Brussels sprouts. Um, my dad used to tell me that they were like little cabbages. Parents, don't say that to your kids. They taste nothing like cabbage. And I still hate it to this day. But for me, it would be like that, looking at it going, oh, they look all right to eat. I know they're not. I know I don't like them. Oh, but they're looking good. And he comes to his senses and goes, oh, I'm going to go home. I'm going to go. I know I disrespected my dad for asking what I did. I'm going to go home and ask my dad to forgive me. I, I'm not going back to be his son. I'm going to go back to be his servant. I'll do those things because even the servants eat better than what I'm eating. Story goes on, and he's walking home, and from a distance, the, the, the story portrays that the dad is intentionally at the, at the you could say, at the um, veranda, looking for his son to come home. You see, what the story and what we can assume is that actually the son was already lost before he left. Because if he was, if he was in that family, in that community, in the mindset that I, we belong in community, he would never have wanted to leave. So we can see and we can say that the son was already lost before he had left. Comes home and the father sees him. And he runs with open arms. The story also tells us of the other brother, the second brother. And I can say that he was also lost. He never left. He stayed at home. He was all right. He was good. But he was also lost because he was doing it for the wrong reasons. And when the, brother, when the brother came home and the dad wanted to put a um, party on for him, he's like, what? you wouldn't even give me anything for me and my friends, and yet this prodigal son, this delinquent son of yours has come home, and now you want to throw a party for him? And the father's like, yeah, he, my son has come home. For me, I can, I can resonate with that story so much because... When I first started coming to church, and I was only going to church to impress my wife, well, back then it was my girlfriend, and I had no intentions of going to church. Didn't want to go to church. I thought, nah, Christianity's a bunch of bull. It's like, it's full of rules. You can't do anything. It's because I never met Jesus. And I just remember along, the, along that journey to where I am today, as there's been multiple times where I've tripped up, when I've fallen over, face first into the dirt, into the mud. And I found myself in the mess. So much so, but there was one particular time that I won't go into today, but I found myself in the mess, and for some reason, I can't explain why, some of you guys might be able to relate to it, I found myself digging, you could say, 
digging more and more into the mud. I knew where I was, but I found myself digging because I couldn't face the reality of acknowledging where I needed to go. You see, if we're sitting here today and we, we can realize that there's parts of our lives, there might be people in here today that realize, hey, I'm not heading in the right direction. I've wasted so much time, so much money, all the different things relating to the story. But what I want to concentrate on in this particular story is that the Father, God, was there with open arms. He ran to the Son. And God does that to each and every one of us. No matter how many times we trip, no matter how many directions we go in, that Jesus is there running towards us with arms wide open. You know, the sun was in a mess still. There was no showers. You can imagine him stinking his clothes, his, were smelling, his, um, smelling like rubbish. And the father didn't care. Still open, ran. And what that shows to me is that to be accepted by the Father, we don't have to be perfect. Far from it. We don't have to have all of our stuff together. We don't have to have all these, you could say, our ducks in a row for the Father's love. Because in that way, we're trying to earn that love. And the Bible clearly states that there is nothing that we can do or to do, to do to, in order to earn God's love. That it's already given. And from that from that gift, our response is something that's amazing or can be amazing. You see, in Isaiah 64, verse 6, it tells us that our righteousness is like filthy rags. That means that not even our best efforts are worthy, but God still opens his arms to each and every one of us. He did that to me, and he will do that to you. You see, because God comes to seek us and save us in the mess that we find ourselves in. And I couldn't go past highlighting this in John 3, 16 and 17. For God, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And now for me, I believe that the next verse, in my own opinion, is far greater than the, the, the one previous, which is the one that the world knows the most. It says, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. You know, sometimes in life we isolate ourselves so much that we are the lepers. We put ourselves, like I said, into that box. And remember that we are the ones judging ourselves a lot of the times. But God doesn't, he, he came to save when you envision, when you put yourself in the stories of Scripture, when Jesus is hanging on that cross, he's having you, your name on his lips. He's thinking of you while he's hanging there. And he'll do it if he had to over and over again. Why? Because he loves us that much. He goes, Sean, I don't want you to live in darkness. I want you to live in the light that I will provide. And all I ask is that you follow me. Follow my example. Be the rock, the light that the world needs, that your community needs. You see, this series wraps up for the one, and we worship the one, the Savior, who seeks and saves us in the midst of where we are right now. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, firstly, we just want to 
just, we're in awe of how awesome you are. That despite our flaws, despite the things that we've done, despite the things that we will continue to do, that you, that you run to us with arms wide open, that you love us regardless and in spite of those things. And Lord, I just pray that as a church, we're able to shine that same light into the community that you've put us in. And Lord, that if there's anyone here that is finding themselves in those situations, outcast from the community, know, may you let them know that you love them, Lord. May they be able to look up and see your face, to know your voice, and to listen to your commands. So Lord, I just pray that our response as a church is to show the world that we can live in the world with you. That no matter what we do in life, if we do it to your glory, the world will be a better place. So Lord, thank you for listening to our prayers. We pray this in your name. Amen.